And we're in a series on prayer. And last week, Pastor Mike, he talked about our desperate need for prayer. And that, you know, we are too busy not to pray. And that it should be our first response and not our last resort. So we're going to continue talking on prayer this morning. And a year ago, about, I was talking on prayer. And uh, so if you guys want to know how to pray, just bury a statue in your ground. There's only a few. And those of you who didn't laugh, you missed my last message on prayer. I talked about uh, how I had some family who gave us this uh, prayer statue, home selling kit. So we've been trying to sell our house. And uh, we buried it in our ground just to be funny. And you like pray every day this special prayer. We buried it in our ground. I was just texting my dad pictures of it just to see what he would do, just trying to tease him. And uh, here I am a year later still trying to sell my house, right? Uh, Got a bad omen or something there, right? Uh, But... Just this last week at my life group, we met on Tuesday, and uh, as things were kind of closing down and wrapping up, uh, one couple had already left, uh, some of our friends were like getting their baby uh, uh, ready to, to leave and stuff, and I was just like complaining, you know, just about my house, and just like bummed that it's not selling, and I was just complaining and just saying, hey, I'm, I'm just tired of this, I'm just over with it, like I, I don't get what the deal is. You know, uh, we've had a lot of showings, but just like no one wants to buy it. And so uh, my friend John, he's like, well, let's pray again. Let's pray right now. And I'm like, no, we've prayed too much for it. Like, I, I, I think it's contributing to why it's not praying. I don't know. And uh, he was like, no, let's pray. Like, the Bible says if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you know, we can move mountains. And I think we have a couple mustard seeds here tonight. And I was like, no, I don't want to. And he was like, come on. I was like, all right, whatever, you pray, John. And so John's like, okay, I'm going to pray. So I laid there on the couch and was just, you know, a little out of it, just kind of went along with it, was just like, whatever, I'll enter in. I'll try and enter in the best I can. Just kind of sat there, and he prayed, amen. And I was like, good, thanks, man. So they left. And then the next morning, so this last Wednesday, I get a call from my realtor, and he's like, someone offered a full-price offer on your house. Just like a few days ago. I'm like, what? Is this a joke? And he's like, no. And it kind of hit me that, that uh, God still answers prayer when we don't feel like praying, but we still pray. You know, sometimes it, it, it can be like we feel like we have to have, you know, the right setting, the right mood lighting. Maybe you have like a piano or Dylan serenading you with the guitar to pray right. And, you know, there, you got to have all the words put together. And that's just not how God works. You know, even though we may not be in the mood for a miracle to happen, God is always in the mood for a miracle to happen. And isn't that good? That's good. And because prayer is powerful. Prayer is really powerful. The, the, the Bible says in James uh, that the earnest prayer of a righteous person is powerful and that it produces wonderful results. But prayer is also, it's kind of a, a funny thing a little bit. You know, if you think about it, you're, you're kind of like talking to or you're just like thinking thoughts to an invisible being out there. And, you know, it can be like a little intimidating to pray in front of people or it's a little mysterious how it all happens. Like, so I pray or I just think thoughts to someone or something out there. And then that someone that heard my thoughts somehow 
answers what I thought. Like, it, it's a little mysterious, and, and it can be a little difficult, too. Like, well, like, how do I pray? Or, or, or what do I pray? You know, if you've been a Christian longer than a few months, you probably realize that people pray differently. Like, one person might fold their hands, another person might uh, fold their arms, you know, someone might say this, someone says that. You notice that people say, like, kind of strange words and phrases and sayings, and, you know, people pray differently. But then you also notice that people also pray, like, a lot of the same things, and they're, they're all praying for the same stuff. And so, you know, it, it can be a little bit difficult. And this is why Jesus clearly teaches us in the Bible. He knows that prayer is not easy. Jesus knows that his disciples, and for all of us, it's not the easiest thing to have these, like, you know, groundbreaking prayers or whatever. And so he, he teaches his disciples on what to pray and how to pray. And this comes out of Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus talks about many things in this sermon. And one of the things he talks about is prayer. It comes out of Matthew 6, 5. This is what it says. It says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling on like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And then he says, pray like this. And this, here comes the most famous prayer of all, the Lord's Prayer. Can we read this and say this together? Let's say it together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Man, they tricked you and you still got it right. Way to go. Some of you are like, what's going on? Like, I want to read the words. You guys are awesome. You guys are so spiritual. I just love it. How spiritual you all are. Man, that's good. So before we kind of get to Jesus' prayer here that he teaches the disciples, let's look at some of the few things that Jesus says how not to pray and and what not to pray. So he says, don't be like the hypocrites who just pray for those to hear them be spiritual. He tells us how not to pray here. And uh, so so what does this mean? Don't be like the hypocrites who just pray to be spiritual. Um, It means prayer should not be used to show off how spiritual you are for those who are looking on. So this could be like people who really have just a horrible prayer life, you know, but they get around the dinner table and they pray these great prayers. Or they show up to life group and they just pray these great prayers. They got the words right. They've been in church long enough. They know what to say. They know how to say it. They got the right Christian lingo, the right Christian words. And they say these prayers and the onlookers look at them and they leave and they go, man, he must be so connected to God. He probably reads his Bible twice a day. Wow, that's crazy. I used to have this funny game with one of my friends back in high school where uh, he was kind of a new believer at the time, and he knew I was a PK, a pastor's kid, and he knew like 
I had a relationship with the Lord. So he used to give me like funny words to say in prayer. So he'd say, or just like spiritual words to say in prayer. He'd say, if you can fit these in prayer, let's see how people react to them, and I'll give you a high five. You can fit them in somehow. So I'd be like, whatever, man. Like, maybe I'm trying to teach you how to pray right now. I don't know. And uh, um, so he'd give me these words. He'd be like, all right, Nate, I want you to use the words when we pray. I want you to use the words ignite, furious, and bountiful. So I'd be like, whatever. So we'd get around the dinner table. Maybe my family would be there, his family, or we'd be with some friends or whatever. They wouldn't know. And so here comes this high schooler, and we'd all sit down. He'd be like, Nate wants to pray. Nate loves praying. Can Nate pray tonight? And uh, everyone would be like, yeah, Nate pray. I'd be like, okay, whatever. So it goes something along like this. Dear God, our precious and dearly loved Savior, how awe-inspiring you are. Lord, as we consume this deliciously scrumptious, bountiful dinner, would you ignite our hearts for a furious passion for you like a match in a dry forest? We thank thee, oh, our wonderful Jehovah. Amen. Everyone would be like, oh, thank you so much for that. I so appreciate that. And, and is it wrong to say words like that in prayer? No, not at all. That's totally okay. But it's the motive behind it. Everyone thought, like, here's the, you know, coming from a, a sophomore in high school, this sounds great. He's using, he's using you know, senior-level words in high school. <laughs> this is awesome. He must read his Bible once a day. This is perfect. And what they didn't know is, you know, I was probably in one of the biggest spiritual slumps in my life. You know, freshman year, eighth grade year through my junior year was probably one of the, the, my biggest spiritual slumps. Where, like, I just didn't really care for church much at the time, but I said this great prayer, and it looked like Nate, the PK, he's got it all together, right? But in reality, my life didn't look that good. You know, prayer can be a lot of times like social media, right? Show the best, but you hide the rest, right? And so you put your highlight reel out there on Facebook for everyone to see how great your life is, but in reality, your life, you know, doesn't look like that all the time. And our prayer life can be much like that, where you show the best to people, but you hide the rest. And really, you're spiritually impoverished. And and your prayer life can't look like that all the time. And so Jesus then also shows us, you know, uh, what not to, or how not to pray. And he also tells us what not to pray. Jesus says, don't keep babbling on like the pagans for their many words they think they'll be heard. And many Christians pick up these babbling habits a lot of the time, and you don't even realize that you've picked them up. So if you've been a Christian, you know, for a month, two months, a year, 10 years, whatever, you pick up these, like, prayers that people pray all the time, thinking that it's, like, the spiritual thing to do. So praying something like, God, will you be with me at work today? I think I'm going to have a tough day. Or, God, will you be with me at school today? And we pray that every day over and over, every day. And God's probably up there in heaven thinking, well, haven't I already told you I'll never leave you nor forsake you? Why are you praying for something that you already have? I live inside you, bro. Or here's another great one. This one's great. Uh, Would people pray before they eat, right? Classic. You got to bless the food to your body, right? So we pray this prayer, Jesus, will you bless this food to our bodies, you know, as we consume it. And uh, we, do, we have this habit, right? 
breakfast, lunch, dinner that we always pray before we eat and we bless the food. So you're out with your buddies and you're at your favorite restaurant establishment, McDonald's. And you order this just great meal and you got to pray before you eat it. So you sit down and you pray and you pray something like this. Our dear Heavenly Father, would you bless this food to our bodies as we consume this deliciously scrumptious, bountiful meal so full of calories, fat, sodium, and ingredients scientists are still trying to figure out. Would you bless it to our bodies as we consume it? As if God is going to take this really heaping pile of grease and turn it into something really good for your body. Not going to happen, right? Really what we should pray is, God, before I devour this unholy burger, would you convict me to run 10 miles after I eat it? That should be the real prayer. God's not going to take something unhealthy and turn it healthy just because you prayed for it. You know, sometimes we get this idea like we have to, in order to be spiritual or to have a relationship with God, we have to pray these prayers all the time. So God's hearing us all the time. But really that's just, babbling on. God's heard your prayer. He knows you need to be healthy. He would probably say, don't eat at McDonald's. And and we get this idea that, you know, how we pray has to be kind of spiritual, and it has to sound really good, and it has to be kind of passionate. And and if we don't use this Christian lingo and, and terms and phrases that we've picked up our whole life, that God doesn't really hear us. And if there's not a, a piano and dim lighting and stuff in the background, then, then maybe God won't really answer us. And, or, or maybe you don't have like a really good relationship with God if you're not using these words and phrases and passion and, and saying these repetitive prayers. And that's really not the case. And this is why Jesus, he, he instructs his disciples and he instructs us how to pray and what to pray. And he uses this in the Lord's Prayer. An interesting fact is that the Lord's Prayer really should be called the Disciples' Prayer. It was really instruction for the disciples. Jesus could have really never prayed a prayer like this because of the part that says, forgive us our debts. Jesus would have never asked for forgiveness because he's never sinned. So really, he was instructing the disciples, here is a model of prayer that you all can use. Also, ironically, Jesus says, don't babble on in repetitive prayers. And the Lord's Prayer has become the most recited prayer in the world, right? So Jesus lays out this foundation for us on how we should pray. Can you pray the Lord's Prayer? Of course you can pray the Lord's Prayer. Do you have to use this model every single time you pray? No, you don't. But it's a great example for us. And so think of the Lord's Prayer in three sections. So first is worship to God, where where, uh, uh, Jesus says, Uh, hallowed be your name, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. This is just worship to God. God, you are holy, you are awesome, you are are everything, and your will is above my will. This could look much like just thanking God for all the wonderful things he's done, just thanking God for all the goodness that he's given you. This could just be you singing a song of worship, You know, it's just giving back to God. So it's just worship to him and saying, you know what, God, your agenda, your holy agenda, you know everything, and your agenda is greater than mine. That's why I'm going to worship you, and your will be done in my life, not my own. 
And then the second is our needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Our own felt needs that we do need to eat. We, we do need to drink, right? And, and these are our felt needs. Where, and so many people get stuck in this part and pray this type of prayer all the time. Where it's just my needs, you know, my money, my marriage, my finances, my kids. Where it's just your own felt needs. And yes, it's okay to pray for that. And God wants to answer your needs. Because it says, don't worry, but you know, it, uh, with prayer and petition, give everything to the Lord. So God wants our needs, but so many people get stuck just given the to-do list like he's Santa Claus, right? We can also pray for other people's needs. So we, we can pray for, you know, uh, people in our family or uh, people in our church, like we had the prayer wall. We can pray for other people's needs and, and, and pray that God will intervene in their life and do miracles in their life. We can pray for our city, that God would create Spokane to be a place of revival that's happening, that people are getting saved. We can pray for our country. We can pray, you know, for missions all around the world, that God's intervening in other people's lives other than just our own. So we can pray for our needs and other people's needs. And third is asking for forgiveness of our sins. Forgive us uh, our debts and forgive our debtors and protect us from temptation. So this is asking for forgiveness and protection at the same time. Submitting ourselves to God. This can look like just walking in repentance for the, the things that we do, just God help me today. God help me in this. Like I, I struggle in this area, Lord. Would you forgive me when I fail and will you protect me and help me walk through this? It's just having that deep reverence for the holy God and for, for being thankful for the salvation that he's given us. And praying for protection, the things of this world that, that really weigh us down. Praying for protection for others, too. Like, you, we can pray and intervene for protection in your kids' lives or your family's lives or your friends' lives or the, the, uh, our church and the prayer wall. You can pray for protection from temptation that we will all face and no longer pursue selfish desires, but holy things, you know, God's will in our life. So you can worship felt needs, and forgiveness. This is how Jesus tells us what to pray for. Do you have to pray like that every time? No. Do you have to pray for all three every time you pray? No. Can you just worship God in prayer? Totally. Can you just pray for your needs and other people's needs? Totally. Can you just uh, pray for forgiveness or protection? Yes. But the key is that your prayer life encompasses all three that you have to have a well-rounded prayer life, that it starts with worship, and, and you're worshiping the Lord, and you're also asking for, for needs to be met for not just your own, but in your community, and, and also asking for forgiveness and protection of the things of this world, to have a well-rounded prayer life with God that all these levels are intersecting. And Jesus also tells us uh, how to pray. In, in this. And, and this is key for, for us all, I really think. And what Jesus is trying to say here is, is if we read this passage, but when you pray, so this is how you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. This is what I think Jesus is trying to say. He's trying to say private obedience to him leads to public reward. So like I said, you, you, you can pray good prayers and impress people. 
But does that mean your relationship with God is really strong and healthy? No, not at all. We have to learn to have a relationship with God and a prayer life that is private as well. That you can't just, you can't just grow your prayer life around the dinner table. It doesn't work like that. That Jesus wants to have a relationship with you, and we need to have a prayer life that, that is one-on-one with God. Why does, why does he say, go into your room and close the door? Does that mean I can't pray up here? Does that mean i got to go in my office and pray alone? No, obviously you can pray, but he, what Jesus is trying to get at the people is you need to have a personalized relationship with God that doesn't get formed around the dinner table. It gets formed one-on-one with him. And why does he say, go shut the door? Because he knows us. He knows that he wants to have a one-on-one relationship, and he knows that we get easily distracted. Anyone ever been distracted while praying before? You go out in your living room, and you try and pray, and your kids are running, the TV's on, a dog's barking. You know, Jesus knows we get easily distracted. So we're trying to pray, but there's all these distractions coming in. Or in your car, you're driving to work, and you're praying, someone's cut you off, and then you're going to swear while you're praying. That's a bummer. Don't swear while you're praying, okay? So go in a room and, and, and pray and begin to build this relationship with God that's just you and him. And, and Jesus tells us this because he knows us. He knows we get easily distracted. And, and Pastor Scott is actually going to specifically talk on this in the coming weeks, on how God can empower us to overcome those distractions in our life. But go in private. Pray alone. Build your relationship with God. This could be a room in your house that's just away from everything. This could be in your garage. This could be on your porch. This could be a walk in the woods. Just alone, you and God, where the distractions aren't there, and you can just build your private relationship and privately be obedient reading his word and praying and, and showing y- your relationship with God, just you and him alone, and not for your life group to see, not for your family to see at the dinner table. It may end up there, but to start alone. And so if you want to make a difference in this world, you want to make a difference on your campus, you want to make a difference at your work, you want to make a difference in a relationship, you want to make a difference in your marriage, One of the greatest things and one of the best things and most powerful things that you can do will be in secret between you and God. That no one will know. When no one is looking, then God will reward you for what is not seen. So let me explain this. Think of the story of David and Goliath. David was tending sheep. He was building his relationship with God in the field. For, for years, when no one was around, no one was looking, well before he was king or he fought Goliath, he was tending sheep, and he was building his relationship uh, with the Lord. And, and, and David had a very intense prayer life that grew all throughout his life. Many psalms written in the book of Psalms are prayers from David that, that he just wrote, whether it was uh, you know, him running from Saul for his life, or he was hiding in a cave, or when, when he failed and he prayed for forgiveness, all throughout his life, we see David, who the Bible says is the man after God's heart, we see his prayer life de- develop all throughout his life. But it started when he was a boy in the field. And even King Saul caught wind of this, of this boy who, who God was really using 
and it was really uh, had a relationship with the Lord. And so he asked him to come play the, uh, uh, the harp for him. When, when Saul felt down, he would have David, because David specifically as a boy, uh, the Lord was with him. David knew his scripture. David had a, a prayer life. And, and what happened when the Philistines came and they were going to fight the Israelites, uh, David's brothers went off to war and, and his brothers went to fight. But David obeyed his father and stayed be- behind, still tending the sheep. And then his father asked David to bring some cheese and bread to the battlefield to his brothers. And David obeyed. This is a very simple task that no one really cares about or sees, right? His brothers are out fighting. He's being pizza boy. So David does this. He shows up. He notices two armies doing absolutely nothing, just standing there staring at each other with some big giant guy yelling at the Israelites. And so David's like, who is this chump? Like, why is no one fighting? He's like, well, I guess I'll have to fight if no one else will. So David goes to Saul, and he says, why is no one fighting? Like, I will fight this giant. And uh, Saul is like, I don't think you're going to fight him. He kind of laughs it off, and, and King Saul's like, nope, it's not going to happen. So let's look at this passage out of uh, 1 Samuel 17, this uh, uh, response that David gives to Saul. So Saul replied, you are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, this uncircumcised Philistine, will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Here's what David's saying. David's saying, I've been in the field tending sheep. I've been fighting lions and bears. I've been in prayer. I've been in worship. I come to your house, Saul, and I play you worship songs. I've been building this relationship with the Lord, and he's been putting faith in me, and I don't know why I'm the only guy out here that thinks God is on our side. David had been in the Word and in the Scripture and in prayer and in worship and all these things. I imagine David as a young boy in the field worshiping God. I imagine him praying for needs that his family needs and he needs and other people's needs. I imagine David in the field alone uh, praying for protection against, you know, circumstances in life, whether it's a bear or a lion. He's praying for protection. Lord, help me defeat this. And anytime a circumstance came into David's life, his relationship with the Lord was so strong, it helped him overcome these circumstances. It helped him overcome the bear. It helped him overcome the lion. And eventually it helped him overcome the giant. And I call this whole conversation between Saul and David, his Miyagi moment, David's Miyagi moment. You know, from the Karate Kid, right? So Mr. Miyagi and and Daniel's son. Daniel's son, he wants to learn how to fight, and he wants to be a karate fighter. And so he finds Mr. Miyagi, who's this great karate instructor, and he says, teach me how to fight. And so what does Mr. Miyagi start telling him to do? He says, Wax on, wax the car, and wax off the car. Paint the fence, sand the floor. And so Daniel's son kind of goes along with it. And then he kind of realizes, like, what the heck am I doing here? 
Why am I painting the fence? Why am I sanding the floor? I think this guy's trying to get some free labor right now. And so he confronts Mr. Miyagi, and he's really upset. And he's like, why are you having me wax on, wax off, paint the fence side to side? And why are you having me sand the floor? I don't want to do this. I want to fight. Can you teach me how to fight? Because that's what I want to do. And then Mr. He has his, uh, Danielson has his Miyagi moment. And let's watch this really quick to see what it is. Sand the floor. Sand the floor. Big sucker, sand the floor. Sand the floor. Now show me wax on, wax off. Hey. Wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. Hey, wax on, hat. Wax off. Hat. Concentrate. Look at my eye. Lock a hand. Thumb inside. Wax on, hat. Wax off, hat. Wax on, hat. Wax off, hat. Wax on. Wax off. Show me painter fence. Up, down. Up, down. Up, down. Other side. Look, I always look, I. Show me paint the house. Side, side. Lock wrist. Side, side. Side, side. Show me wax on, wax off. Mr. Miyagi, he has this moment with Daniel's son that's powerful, and it shaped him for his future, where he was all confused. Why are you having me wax on, wax off? And then he's like, wax on, boom, block, blocked, and he finally get it. What he had done in the private, in, in secret, what he had been working on and doing when no one else was around eventually came to his public reward. He fought the fight in the end of the movie and used these skills to win the fight. This was David's Miyagi moment. He said, I have fought the paw of the lion and I have fought the paw of the bear and surely God will keep me from this giant. This was his Miyagi moment. He was going, I've been in the field and I've been praying and I've been worshiping and I've been studying God's scripture and he's been building faith in me and that I know that if God will keep me from the bear and if God will keep me from the lion, surely he's going to keep me from the giant. This was his Miyagi moment and what David had done in the private, his private obedience eventually led to his public reward where he defeated the giant. Same with Jesus. 
Jesus studied scripture, prayed, and worshiped for 30 years to have a three-year ministry. Jesus' Miyagi moment when he, turned, uh, when he turned 30 years old. We must be like David. We must have a great prayer life. We must wax on and wax off. We must sand the floor. We must paint the fence because there will come a time, really many times in your life and in my life, where you will have these Miyagi moments, where your private obedience will lead to something great. And you don't want to stand there when that time comes and you hadn't been waxing on and waxing off. You don't want to stand there in front of this giant and you haven't been building your prayer life. You don't want to stand there when the bear comes at you and it's looking at you and you haven't painted the fence. You haven't sanded the floor because all of us will face a giant. And will your faith, the faith that you've built in private, not around the dinner table, will that faith and that relationship with God withstand the giant that is going to face you, directly stare you down? When, when cancer comes knocking on your door and says, I got you, you're mine, are you going to be able to withstand that giant? Have you been waxing on and waxing off? When, when unemployment comes and is staring you at the face and saying, I'm going to destroy your spiritual life, have you been painting the fence? Have you been sanding the floor in prayer knowing that, that, that the house that I have built will withstand anything that comes? Where Jesus says, you know, the house built on the sand and the house built on the rock. Those who built their house on the sand, the waves will come and crash it over. But those who build it on the rock, who Jesus is, the waves will come and it will withstand. Has your, will your faith withstand those giants who will come yelling at you? When your spouse tells you that they are thinking about leaving you, Will your faith be able to withstand that and stick that out and bring your marriage back together? Have you been waxing on and waxing off? Otherwise, if you haven't been doing that and you've only been maybe doing one of them, you've only been waxing on, just praying for needs, the enemy's gonna come in and it's gonna give you blows to, to, to your spiritual life that you haven't been working on. You haven't been working on worshiping God through really difficult times. Because when those difficult times come, you're not going to know what it's like to worship God except when it's really good. Have you been waxing on and waxing off and painting the fence? Because you need to do all of that. You need to wax on, worship God. You need to sand the floor, pray for your needs and other needs. You need to paint the fence. Ask for forgiveness and for protection because there will come times in your life and in my life that these Miyagi moments will happen where it's going to come to that time where you're going to be there and you're going to face this illness or you're going to face a disability, huge life change. Maybe you're going to move across the country. You're going to be away from all your friends or family. Maybe there's going to be new ministry opportunity or you're going to get promoted to work and you're going to have a very large responsibility. Your marriage may be tested. There may be loss in your life with death. There may be 
unemployment, financial crisis, or you might have a backslidden child. The list goes on and on. And many of you are in the midst of those giants facing you right now. They're not just around the corner. They're right here. And what David says is, I've fought the paw. I've waxed on and waxed off. I've painted the fence. I am ready to face this giant. And what Jesus is saying is saying, those of you, you need to have private obedience to me, and then the public reward will come. Then you will defeat the giant, and you will get your reward. If you just want people to say that you're super spiritual and that you prayed a good prayer around dinner, that's all the reward you're ever going to get. You're just going to continue hearing people say you pray good prayers. But if you want the reward that God will give you, the reward that comes from that private obedience, keep praying. Keep reading your Bible. Keep serving where no one else sees what you do around the church or your home or your workplace. Keep doing those things. Keep serving your kids and loving your kids and loving your spouse, even though you don't want to. And praying through it and worshiping God and asking for needs to be met in your marriage or needs to be met in other people's lives at work. Or asking forgiveness where you fail it. Or asking for protection for people that you continue to wax on, wax off, paint the fence, sand the floor. Because there will come a time when you face the giant and did you do enough waxing on and waxing off to defeat that? Or will that giant defeat you? Continue doing those things because they're very important. We must have a well-balanced prayer life. Worship needs of us and others, and forgiveness, repentance, and protection. Let's all start praying more. Let's all worship God. Let's all pray for our needs and others' needs, and let's walk in repentance, asking forgiveness where we fail, and protection for us and others. And through this, I believe that there is a blessing waiting to happen around the corner Your Miyagi moment is right around the corner. And there's a blessing and a reward that God wants to pour into your life. Can we do that? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much, Lord, for how good you are and how faithful you are. How amazing you are, Lord. God, I know that there are many people in this room right now that are facing giants in their life. Big things staring them down. God, I pray that you would give them the strength and encouragement to continue waxing on and waxing off Peyton the fence, sand in the floor, worshiping you, praying for those needs to be met, praying for others' needs to be met, praying for forgiveness and protection. God, and you give them strength to, to defeat this giant that's in front of them. God, that you would reward those who have been serving and they've been praying and they've been building that relationship with the Lord. No one has seen it. And they're wondering why things maybe aren't coming together. God, I pray that you would reward them for those private, obedient moments that they have had all throughout their life. God, and we worship you 
this morning. We lift you high above all other things, above all our needs. Let your will be done in this place, God. Lord, but you know the needs of your people. You know those giants that are facing in front of them right now. God, would you give them the will and the strength to do that. Protect them from this one that would want to come and rob them of their life that you have given them and their happiness and joy. God, give us, our church, a passion to be in prayer with you, that we would worship you, we would pray for needs, and that we would walk in repentance and protection. We pray this in your name.